This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Hey, everybody. Matt Bagley with you. Scoop Duck in Hi-Fi. I got Justin Hopkins on the other side of the interwebs with me. And we're going to talk ducks. Going to have a great podcast this week. Let's start on this note, which is going to be fun for us because we're the football guys. It's all football all the time, always. But let's start with men's hoops. They win the Pac-12 regular season title. They lose to Oregon State in the semis, <laughs> and they're a seven seed heading to the big dance. What do you think about all that, Justin? Well, I, I think uh, you know if you take that kind of at face value, if we just say, yeah, you know they 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 uh, you know win the the regular season Pac-12 title, but then get blasted in the first in the opening game by the Beavers, it sounds terrible, but. I mean, who knew the Beavers would go on a tear? I mean, they they absolutely just lit it up from three, you know, end up winning the whole dang tournament somehow. I mean, and I, that was, I mean, honestly, you know, I know you're a Beavers fan and you'll appreciate this. Oh. Match, but yeah, that was one of the, that was one of the more impressive runs really by, you know, Wayne Tinkle and his team. So, you know, not a great early exit for Oregon, but uh, it doesn't seem like it really hurt them, you know, in, with regards to, you know, seeding in the uh, in the NCAA men's tournament. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the committee was going to screw them regardless. I, I, I still I ran ran through the resume on my show last night. If you ignore the tournament where they go one for one and just look at what happened from mid January onward, this is a team that loses to Oregon State on the 24th of January. They lose to Wazoo, I think, on February 3rd or February 4th. And then they have a fluke loss to USC on a Monday after a grind uh, five games or or three games in five nights and a weird time slot flying all across the country. Anyway, those are their only three losses. And, And the rest of the schedule is winning in just about every which way you possibly can. Uh, out shooting teams, out defending teams. Uh, I, I think about the Utah game where they had to slow it down, grind it out. They still found a way to win. Same goes for the UCLA game where they come back in the final stretch and win. Um, I feel like the committee was going to get Oregon regardless because if if that resume isn't a four seed or a five seed, I don't know what is. Yeah, it, it seemed like they were destined for that six, seven spot, no matter what. So, yeah, I mean, honest, honestly, let's let's be real. Had they gone on and won the Pac-12 tournament uh, in addition to winning the regular season title, I, I, I don't know that it does them any favors. I mean, frankly, all it does is give you more games and tire you out at the end of, end of the day, maybe. You know, I don't I don't I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head, Matt. I think uh, I think the committee kind of had. You know, uh, they had Oregon in their mind of where they were putting them, and and you, <laughs> I don't think anything was changing that decision. Mm-hmm. No, and, and 
And I think that this is going to be a really pivotal week for the Pac-12 because the committee says Colorado's only a five, even though I I thought their defense was nuts in that tournament. Like, Like Oregon State wins, and that's the story. But Colorado gave them hell on Saturday night. They were a blast to watch. Um, UCLA was in the running for that conference title all year. They have two bad weeks and now they're a play in team. And then Oregon state, of course, wins the tournament title and they're a 12. I think that the committee looked at the PAC 12 and said, every school had a COVID issue. Every school missed games and, and a lot of schools struggled early in the year, like Oregon state or or you can say this for Washington um, and, and really the whole conference, Oregon never getting any love in the polls this year. No. And the committee is saying, we just don't think the Pac-12 is that good. But I think they are. And, and I think this is going to be a really fun opening weekend. Yeah, I think the Pac-12 is good. It was just a, you know, a, a shortened wild season. And, it, you know, it's the same for football, you know. And I, you know what? I guess let's scale it back. If you're you know, if you're the committee and we'll just, we'll, we'll pose this as football and basketball. If you're the committee and you're kind of looking at this conference as a whole, kind of seeing that now, you know, this isn't where we enter the pandemic talk, but honestly, the PAC 12 kind of not taking, you know, things seriously in terms of a season as compared to other conferences, you know, maybe, maybe that's the underlying issue. And again, you know, I don't fault the PAC 12, for maybe, you know, trying to be a little bit safer and having a lot different guidelines from state to state in its footprint that seem to be a little stricter than most of the country. Uh, I mean, obviously, these are unprecedented times, but it certainly seems as as if all that, everything I'm saying there, and, you know, the, the decision of the Pac-12 to shorten and alter and do these things with football and basketball certainly has hurt them, at least with those two committees so far. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, and while I, I defended the Pac-12 and I still do, uh, I, I feel like I'm in the minority on that one. I think that the conference looked at everywhere else in college athletics outside of major D1 and they said, OK, if we took money out of the equation, what's the moral decision? What's the right decision? And and they kind of laid their plan out that way. Um and I, I, I think there might be something to your argument that that went so against what the Big Ten did, what the SEC did, what the Big 12 did, that they're getting screwed for it. Yeah. And, it, you know, that was a thing, you know, way back when you and I were talking about football and, you know, obviously the pandemic's very new and everybody's trying to navigate it. You know, that's the thing I circle back to you and I talked about originally. It's like, okay. I don't fault the Pac-12 for being safe. I don't fault them for, you know, wanting to put the student athletes safety first. All of that is great, but you can't be the only conference to say we're not going to play or we're suspending or canceling when everybody else is moving on. And ultimately that's exactly what happened and, and has become, you know, at least as far as football goes, almost became, you know, worst case scenario, um, you know, for the conference, not just for Oregon, but for the conference. And, and I say that only, you know, you know, to the fact that the Pac-12 is already facing, you know, a an issue, uh, you know, with reputation uh, alone nationally. 
Um, it, it's tough. Again, we're not going to get a right answer here. And it's obviously hindsight. You know, we both know hindsight's 2020. But that was the one thing I circle back to is when we, you and I were talking about football back in, what, June, May, June. You know, you can't be the only one to cancel. Um, and ultimately, they basically went first. And the Big Ten was able to reverse tracks pretty quick. The Pac-12, you know, stuck to its guns. And I think so far that's kind of hurt them. Yeah. Uh, back to the bracket on the men's side. Oregon yep. is a seven. They'll play VCU on Saturday. I think that's going to be a really interesting game. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm excited. You know, obviously, uh, I'll, you know, I got to be completely forthcoming. It's not like I've watched a ton of VCU basketball this year, uh, you know, but clearly they're, they're a pretty good team. It looks right. like they had a similar path as Oregon where, you know, they won their regular season title, but didn't, you know, didn't win their conference tournament. Um, you know, so you kind of wonder, I, I guess for me, I wonder, at least as it relates to Oregon, was that loss to Oregon State maybe a little bit of a wake-up call? You know, you had a team that was on fire, playing some pretty good basketball, winning a lot of games, and then you kind of get that, you know, slap in the mouth like, oh, crap, you know, we still got to win the games, you know? And and I think that could be a good thing for Oregon. You know, it, it, you know, VCU followed a similar path, so you kind of wonder if they're going to have you know, the wake up call of their own, uh, come tournament time, but, uh, you know, really interesting. Uh, the, the one thing I hate right now, and, and I could say this, the one thing I hate right now, everybody is already penciling in a win for Oregon and talking about the Iowa game. And, uh, you know, I know we're fans, we don't have to do what coaches do and focus on the next opponent and all that kind of stuff, but it does seem like fans are in large part putting the cart before the horse here. Uh, I'm sure you've seen a lot of the a lot of the ESPN and uh, and others as far as, you know, giving your, you know, best odds of advancing. Oregon really isn't faring that well in all the odds right now. Colorado, uh, you know, obviously looking a lot better there. So, you know, for me, you know, Dana Altman, I'm sure you got to go out there, you got to beat BCU and, uh, you know, whoever you play next, you'll get ready for. But really, you got to win this first game and, and you got to get back on track. You got to be convincing, you know, do the things you were doing that that won you some basketball games uh, in January and February and, uh, you know, maybe get your confidence back, get your swagger back. Right. Right. And I don't think the ducks are that far from that. You hit the nail on the head. Um, I, I I'm going to joke. Can I, can I, can I make this joke? Can I say that my beavers went off? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. I mean, it only, it only adds to the joke. I know. In my opinion. It's, it's just going to, it's just going to build up that reputation we've had going for years, but, yeah. uh, yeah, Bagley. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so they go off. They they play out of their minds. I thought they were going to lose to Colorado in the championship game, but uh, they Me play too. out of their minds for three days, and they get Pac-12 refs bail them out a couple of times too, and um, and and so what if Oregon loses that game? Sometimes in basketball, the other team just gets hot. And yeah. and Oregon State was hot. They were shooting like crazy. They aren't going to play like that in their their game against Tennessee. And I think what the Ducks have to do is just get back to who they are. They are a team. Uh, I, I've said before, they're an amoeba, a bunch of lengthy guys, a bunch of six, six and bigger guys that want to get their arms up, deny passing lanes. And if you try to pass it in there, they're going to tip it, swat it, steal it, take it the other way for a fast break. That's how they want to play. I, I think that this VCU game can be really interesting on Saturday night because 
I'm with you. I haven't seen VCU play this year, but I've read about them, and I've I've read that the coach they have now was an assistant when Shaka Smart was there, and they're running the same system they had back in the day. It's it's a mirror image of what the Ducks do. They have yeah. length, they have pace, and they want to force turnovers. I think this yeah. game could be really frenetic. Could see a lot of points, a lot of big plays. Yeah, no, you're right. I think it's going to be a very fast-paced game because, like you, I read a little bit about them. You know, not a ton, but a little bit. And like you said, it sure seems like you're seeing similar styles. You know, coming to the game, mm-hmm. and and if that's the case, you should expect uh, a lot of fast-paced play, which also can lead to a lot of fouls in the game. You know, you got guys getting down the court and making lazy, stupid fouls. Uh, that'll be something to watch, see how, you know, who gets in foul trouble where, you know, which which bench is a little bit deeper. And, you know, that might be something that kind of really comes into play into this game. It shouldn't. I mean, the or- Oregon should win on paper. There's no doubt Oregon should win. But, yeah. uh, you know, there's a reason they play these games. Yeah. No. And, and if they do win and now we're just getting ahead of ourselves here, but we, we wouldn't have a pod in time for Monday, probably um, if they do win and they play Monday. They are expected to face Iowa because that's the two seed in their region. Sure. And I love that matchup. Me too. Everybody's sleeping on the Pac-12 this year, but the Pac-12 has athletes and the the Pac-12 doesn't have uh, these transcendent scorers this year, in my opinion, but the Pac-12 has some really good defense and you're going up against an Iowa team that I don't think can handle Oregon's athleticism. I love that matchup. I agree with you. I actually, you know, let's just say Oregon's first round matchup was Iowa. Let's just we'll just pretend we're in pretend world. Uh, I would I would take that matchup over what the Oregon State what Oregon State drew in Tennessee. You know, I think that's that's a little more versatile, more athletic team. I'm with you. I think stylistically that matches up really well for Oregon. Uh, Obviously, you know, the biggest thing there is going to be a matter of the bigs uh, being able to rebound and not getting into foul trouble. Versus Iowa, assuming that's the game that we do see in round two, which, like you said, we're probably not going to be recording a podcast ready in time for Monday. So uh, the next podcast, we'll be able to recap VCU and potentially Iowa if the Ducks can win. Yeah, yeah. Um, Now on the women's side, you were telling me off air, you were surprised the ladies got in. I I wasn't just because of the, the top 25 poll. But I was surprised that they got as high of a seed as they did. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I you know, and I did say that off air and I do I do. I was a little surprised, kind of like a, eh, where, you know, where are they at? And, and again, you, you know, Oregon, Oregon was was not very good down the stretch, obviously losing pow pow. Uh, you know, that's that's very damaging to this team. It, it's clear that was not the same basketball team, uh, you know, with her out of the lineup and uh you know, that makes them really a big question mark for this tournament. You know, you're going to go and play South Dakota, a team that normally you should whoop up on. But, uh, right. you know, women's basketball is a little bit different than men's basketball, of course. So, um, but yeah, it, it, you know, we said this in the podcast too a couple of weeks back. Like, hey, any games that these women get are just more experience, you know, more time on the floor, more time for Kelly Graves to have practices, you know, the experience. Unfortunately, they'll be without the player that probably needs that experience the most. Uh, and Pow Pow, obviously, you know, Kelly Graves mentioned yesterday, uh, uh, Monday, that she's unlikely to play in the game. So um, I'm optimistic that they'll make it, you know, 
past South Dakota, past the uh, mighty Coyotes. But, uh, you know, it, it certainly looks like their work's going to be cut out for them, right. uh, you know, minus Pow Pow. Right. Well, I, I think, and, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, the issue for the Oregon women, they have talent, but they don't have experience. And yeah. if, if this was a men's team, it wouldn't be that much of a problem because you're seeing so many one and done guys jump to the NBA. Um, the, the, the gulf in experience in major conference programs is pretty small. Um, but the mid-majors, obviously, they get four-year guys because they're not going to the NBA. Um, on the women's side, you don't have those one and dones. You don't have no. players saying, I'm going to chase big money in the WNBA because there isn't big money in the WNBA. Right. And so if Oregon beats a very experienced South Dakota team, that has been in the tournament three years in a row, won their league, one of the most efficient offenses in America, three things you can't say about Oregon's freshman class this year. Um, if they win that game, they got to play a really good three-seed Georgia. They got to yeah. play a really good two-seed Louisville that's been in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight and Final Fours before. And then they got to play Stanford. Congrats, best team in America. So... Yeah. Like, to me, there's no way this team, even with all the talent, there's no way they have the experience to, to win those battles. Right. No, you're right. It's, you know, expect an early exit for the women. Uh, early doesn't mean first round, but, you know, uh, if, you're, if your goals for this team are, are an Elite Eight or even a Sweet 16, I think you might be overshooting that a little bit. But again, there's no such thing as bad experience here. They go out and they win. Oh, yeah. You know, that's a confidence booster. They go out there and they lose and they say, okay, what do we need to work on for next year? And, you know, that's what I'm looking for with the women this year. Right, right. And if Kelly Graves has proven anything, look at the progression of his last core, right? Sabrina and Ruthie and Satu Sabali were awesome right out of the gate. And they would light up, you know, they'd, they'd score some points. They'd make some plays just like Tina Pow Pow and the ladies did this year. But did it translate into wins right away? No, they would win games. They would lose games. That's okay. Yeah. They weren't just in the final four every friggin' year. Um, they're going to grow. They'll, they'll, they'll take their lumps this month. I think next year, sky's the limit. Well, and I, you know, it's it's hard because everybody's used to Oregon women's basketball winning and, you know, and all of a sudden they start drawing comparisons to Connecticut and other, you know, schools that have done it at a really high level for a long time. You know, the difference there is those guys have recruited at that high level for 10, 12, 15, 20 years, whatever the case might be. And while Kelly Graves has certainly done a terrific job, you know, he's only got, you know, really the, the two, three or four classes under his belt. Right. You just saw the one, you know, the one class push Sabrina and Sabali and, and all those great players out. You know, you brought the next one in. So is it trending that direction? It certainly is trending towards a powerhouse, but by no means, you know, was he able to create one out of thin air in, in about a four year span? They're winning, they're doing great, but this is kind of that, uh, you know, this is kind of that transition year, if you will. They'll be better next year. They'll be great the year after that. Uh, and if he continues to recruit at the level he has, uh, you won't you won't see these big drawbacks in the future, but unfortunately, you're just not there yet. Right, right, and and you see this on the football side too. When when you're talking about say Mario Cristobal getting a good four star or five star player, that can be transcendent in your program, 
but there's still a difference between getting that four star or five star player and getting a superstar, right? Like yeah. when when Duck Football has Marcus Mariota under center, you can't say, well, you know, so and so has a five star quarterback, and we can just slot him right in. There's a difference, right? And uh, and and I think for for fans of the women's team. We have to take a step back and we have to say, okay, these recruiting rankings are great. Four star, five star players. That's great. But you're not just going to get a Sabrina Ionescu every year. That doesn't happen. Yeah. He he didn't sign five Jordan Pow Pows last year. I mean, sure, sure. He got her, but the others might be more developmental time. And, you know, I think to your point, the one that might hit home the most, Oregon signed a bunch of four. Uh, you know, let's just call it four-star offensive linemen for football the last few years, but there's only been one Penny Sewell. You know, like mm-hmm. you said, for the 10 really good offensive linemen, he's, he's you know, been able to recruit and and develop. There's only one Penny Sewell. So, yeah, you don't just – just because they're all four-stars doesn't mean they're all Penny Sewells. <laughs> right. right. Um, I see that our guest is ready, which is awesome, because now I get to yeah. introduce this. Uh, yeah. we, we've been angling this for a while. I'm really – grateful to talk with them and 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 share some of his story with you uh brady breeze southern oregon legend and an oregonian and and a duck legend and now he's trying to apply his trade in the next step and take that leap to the pros can't wait to pick his brain like I said, Brady Breeze with us on the podcast. I love this. I love every chance when we get to speak with former Ducks and pick their brains and highlight their stories. It's one of my favorite things that we do on this podcast. Uh, we we want to talk about Brady's transition from the Ducks to the NFL and, and, and his experience dealing with a, a really tumultuous year, not just with Oregon football, but with the world at large and his life. Um, But I want to start Brady by asking a question that I ask every duck when we get him here. When you were looking at colleges, what made you decide Oregon? Why Oregon? Man, it was a pretty easy, you know, decision for me. Uh, My uncle Chad Cota went to Oregon, played at Oregon. My mom went there for a year. My older brother, Bo went there for a year. Uh, I had cousins that went there. I mean, Oregon was kind of my blood war. Oregon duck pajamas growing up as a kid had my um, alarm ringtone uh, in high school as the Oregon duck fight song. So, you know, you know, grew up being an Oregon duck fan and stuff. And when I finally got that scholarship after my sophomore year, uh, it was just kind of like a no brainer for me to, you know, go to my dream school. So definitely glad I made that decision. You know, best decision ever made to go to Oregon. So Brady, I hear you still wear those duck pajamas. (laughs) <laughs> man i wear I, I sometimes wear some oregon duck football gear to sleep i'm not gonna lie <laughs> nice now uh you know so you were obviously at oregon for a pretty interesting period of time at least in terms of the football program um you know finished out your last couple of years with mario cristobal um and some of the other coaches what what was kind of your thoughts of the transition of the program from the time you showed up as a freshman to the time you left as a senior and, you know, just maybe what are some of your thoughts of playing under Coach Cristobal and, and maybe how he compared to some of the others? Man, I had a um, roller coaster of a career, man. I mean, got recruited by Mark Helfrich and John Neal. Um, had Brady Hoke as a defensive coordinator. And then obviously, you know, all those coaches got fired. And then Jim Levitt comes in, Coach Willie Taggart come in. 
uh, Keith Hayward came in as safety coach, and then Taggart's there for a year, and then he leaves. Jim Levitt stays. Chris Ball's obviously the new head coach. So now I'm on my third head coach, and then I got a new D coordinator, Andy Avalos, for my last year at Oregon. So it was just like kind of chaos the first couple of years, all these different types, you know, of transitions and everything. But definitely what I learned is how to, you know, adapt to change. There was, you know, so many defenses, so many things, you know, as far as culture and stuff. But definitely loved, you know, what Chris Ball had going. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, takes pride, obviously, in recruiting and stuff. As you see, you know, our class is getting better and better every year. But he's a guy that's just like he's down to earth, you know, with his players. He doesn't, you know, he's not like a dictator. He doesn't just tell you what to do and not care about you. He tells you what to do, but then he's able to tell you why he's doing certain things. You know, he's not just telling you, hey, go run, you know, a couple laps around the field. He's going to tell you, hey, I want you guys to do these workouts because it's going to transition into football in this way or this aspect. Or whenever we have, you know, like mindset meetings, you know, he's going to explain to us obviously why we're having these meetings. And I feel I feel like that really helped, you know, us as players understand like this coach actually cares about us. He's not just having us doing this for no reason. You know, he actually wants us to get better as players, but obviously as people as well. And I don't know, it was just it was just really nice to know that, you know, he's a coach that cares about us. And you could tell you could tell the way, you know, the young guys were buying in, you know, the seniors and stuff too, the older guys were buying in like we had, you know, an amazing culture. And obviously now back-to-back Pac-12 champions, I mean, it's a no-brainer just because of the way Chris Ball's, you know, been running things. And I'm excited to see, you know, how much farther Oregon can go from here. You talk about the change and the buy-in under Mario Cristobal. When did that buy-in occur for you? Man, I was bought in uh, the day he got hired. I mean, he was the type of guy that, you know, he was obviously our offensive line coach, you know, at the time. And uh, I remember I was walking into a, a special teams meeting and he's like, hey, what's up, Brady? I'm like, what's up, coach? Like, usually he doesn't really, you know, talk to me just because I'm not in his position, obviously. But he brings right. me to the side. He's like, hey, I just want to let you know, you know, on this kickoff, make sure to, you know, shoot your hips this way and grab his shoulder pads and rip to your right side because I saw you weren't really, like, attacking the block and shedding it. So make sure to do that next time on kickoff or whatever. And I was like, wow, man, this guy's an offensive line coach, doesn't even really know who I am, but brings me to the side and like calmly teaches me something. Obviously he was watching film on me and paying attention to me as a player when he has no business, you know, being able to coach me because he needs to focus on his own lineman. But that just really stuck out to me. He's a guy that actually cares about individual players. And so when he got hired at head coach, I was like, man, this guy's going to be legit just because he cared about everyone. And I, I always tell that story just because it showed like his true character. He's not just caring, you know, like only about, like Justin Herbert or like the big name guys, he was caring about me when I was just, you know, a freshman playing special teams, you know, a little bit of defense and stuff. He was watching me and making sure that I was getting better, getting better as a person and a player personally. So that was really cool. So I know for you over the course of your career, you're, you know, you were, you were just kind of that guy that, you know, had to fight for your playing time. It seemed like for the first, you know, couple few years, you know, just always like right there, maybe right at the, you know, right at the doorstep, you know, you know, getting some snaps, wanting more, wanting to, be the guy. And then next thing you know, you know, we look back and there's the Pac-12 championship and the, and the Rose Bowl and you cap off your career in pretty much epic fashion. I mean, you still get kind of chills thinking about how you were able to end your career at Oregon. What that, what that kind of mean for you? Yeah, man. I mean, it's still pretty crazy to think about, you know, the things I've been able to accomplish at Oregon. I mean, I was still the guy that, you know, was watching the I Love My Ducks YouTube videos all the time and stuff. I mean, I was a true, I was a true duck fan. I had a I Love My Ducks uh, t-shirt, you know, with the little sub with you girl at the bottom. 
um, I mean, I was all about, you know, the ducks. And then I remember we were uh, driving to the stadium and I pulled up that old, you know, I love my ducks YouTube video that I used to always watch. And I watched that and almost brought me to tears just because I'm like, dude, I'm really like able to accomplish my dreams. I'm playing in a Rose bowl that I've always wanted to play in. I'm about to start in the Rose bowl. Like I was just, I was just kind of blown away, you know, at the things I had accomplished. And then I, w- I had no idea, you know, on that bus ride that I was going to go into a game and win MVP and score a touchdown and do all these things, you know, but it's just kind of crazy to think about, you know, the things that God, you know, has led me to do and, you know, help continue to guide me as a person and a player. And um, yeah, it's just been a, it's been one heck of a ride, but I'm excited to see, you know, what's next. You were, you know, to me, you, you kind of became big play Brady, you know, at, at the end there, was there, is there a, you know, is there a moment that maybe stands out about, you know, one of the particular plays, the INTs, the, the punt return for a touchdown or the punt, excuse me, the punt block for a touchdown. Is there one of those moments that's maybe kind of your sweetest? Yeah, definitely the punt block for a touchdown. I mean, that was one of the plays where uh, we had just gotten done with like a 13 or 15 play drive. So we, I was gassed. I was ready to come off the field, but I was like, you know what? I kind of want to stay on because I was still on every single special team. I'm playing every single snap of defense too. So I was pretty freaking gassed. And I remember we uh, get this signal for a punt block. So I'm like, no way am I going to come off the field regardless of how tired I am. And uh, the night before and like throughout that week, obviously I've been watching a bunch of film, you know, I'm trying to get a, you know, block punt. And this guy, I think he was number 57 for Wisconsin. He's kind of being lazy in his stance and stuff. He was the left tackle. So when I'm lined up against him, we called him the right tackle. So he's lined up against me and he was just being super lazy in his stance on film. And so sure enough, we get the punt block called. And uh, I'm looking at his stance. I'm like, dude, this guy's doing exactly, you know, what I watched on film. He's being super lazy in the stance. He's not going to, you know, really expect me to blitz. So I made sure in, like, my stance to act super lazy and act like, I, you know, I was just going to drop back and block him. I wasn't going to act like, you know, I was going to come and blitz. So I acted super lazy in my stance. And then sure enough, when the ball snapped, I swiped right to his left. Didn't even block me. Went totally unblocked. And then Hockey Woods did the same thing. He went unblocked. And sure enough, the punter literally catches the ball, but he saw how close we were and he knew we were going to block it regardless if he, he would have kicked it. So he tried to pull it back. And when he pulled it back, he goes, oh, shit. And he tries <laughs> to pull the ball back. And I literally hear him saying this. And he drops the ball and I look at the ball and it's sitting right there. So I picked it up and run to the end zone. I'm looking at the scoreboard, like looking at the people behind me to see how close they are and stuff. And it was just insane. Like I remember when I scored the touchdown, I didn't even know what to celebrate. I was like, dude, I'm just going to put my arms out here. <laughs> yeah, so it was, just, it was just pretty crazy. It literally smelled like hot dogs in that little section by the family <laughs> stuff. They were eating their lunch. Like, it was just surreal. Like, I still have, you know, all those memories and stuff because I was just kind of taking everything in. But um, I jog on the sideline, and uh, one of my teammates, Lucas Nolan, he was one of our, you know, walk-on safeties um, and one of my really good buddies. So he comes up to me. He's like, dude, do you realize you just scored a freaking touchdown in the Rose Bowl? Are you kidding me? And I don't know. That, just, that whole moment just kind of stuck out to me. Um, just because I was like, holy crap, like, actually, I did score, like, a touchdown. Like, I never would have thought anything, you know, would happen like that. But definitely through the preparation, just kind of grinding through things, you know, definitely led me to, you know, overcome a lot of adversity and, you know, be able to make plays like, I, you know, I did in the end of the season. It just blows me away thinking about how every little kid in Oregon grows up with that dream and you got to live it. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty crazy. Like I went to the uh, the Rose Bowl and we played Ohio State. Um, I was in Pasadena. We didn't end up getting tickets for uh, the 2012 Rose Bowl, um, but was going to go to that one. 
Um, so yeah, just watching all the Rose Bowls growing up. My uncle played in the Rose Bowl um, exactly 25 years before we played our Rose Bowl. So it's just kind of like, like crazy. I feel like the stars, you know, just kind of align. And, you know, all my dreams just kind of came true that day. It was definitely, you know, a special time in my life for sure. Well, you know, it's amazing. Your vivid detail of exactly that play and everything that, you know, the smell and, and all that, like, it just, it really speaks to how I think valuable that, that moment was for you. Um, you know, obviously, as we all know by now, you, you were one of the players that decided to opt out of this senior year or the bonus year or whatever you want to call it, the COVID year. And, uh, it, and, uh, and of course, there's so many things that go into those decisions, uh, you know, of why to do that and, and, and why not. What, you know, what kind of led you through that process and ultimately, you know, was the, the main factor in you deciding to say, hey, look, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to go ahead and decide to opt out of this season and prepare for the NFL. You know, what, what kind of pushed you that direction in the end, Brady? Yeah, so it wasn't really, you know, one thing that made me obviously opt out of the season. It was just kind of the whole situation of everything. So I'll just kind of tell you the whole story of what happened. So obviously I decided to come back for my senior year after the rules. Well, didn't want to declare for the draft or anything. Decided to come back. I felt like I had a lot more to prove to myself and my teammates and just the program in general. So came back. Everything was great. We do spring ball. Go through spring ball. We're doing like three weeks of it or two weeks of it. And uh Spring ball obviously got canceled when COVID hit, so it took some time off. And then we started back up in June, I think. And then June through July was totally fine. And then July, they gave us that revised schedule to where we were only playing like nine or ten games instead. I was like, okay, that's fine as long as, as, long as we're on pace to, you know, obviously play. And uh, so we pushed our workouts back a little bit farther. Instead of start, starting practice um, on August 1st or whatever, we, you know, pushed it back like two weeks. And so um, it was like August 11th or something, we're doing a walkthrough and uh, we're a week away from starting our original fall camp practice and helmets and everything. But we finished this walkthrough and coach brings us up. He's like, Hey guys, I want to let you know, you know, season's been canceled and, you know, thank you to all you seniors. I'm so sorry, you know, for what you guys have to go through. So we're thinking like, Holy crap, dude, this season's like done. And so, you know, I went up to coach after and I was like, hey, coach, like, you know, what should I do? Should I stay in Eugene and train here? Just kind of come to the facility on my own. Like, what should I do? And he's like, no, man, like literally go home, like pack up your stuff, go home, you know, do whatever. You know, you're not allowed to train here, even be at the facility during this time. So, wow. I, you know, I, we all said goodbye to each other as seniors. We were hugging each other goodbye, thinking like, you know, this is the last time we're ever going to see each other, this and that. And uh, so I packed up, moved out of my apartment, moved back home to Lake Oswego and was training in uh, my buddy Ryan Shepard's garage, you know, in Lake Oswego, just doing training there because all this stuff was kind of shut down. So, yeah, trained in his garage for five weeks. Five weeks later, um, it's like beginning of October, I get a phone call from Coach Hayward. He's like, hey, man, I've been in meetings all day. Just want to let you know, season's back on. We need you to be here tomorrow. Pack up your stuff. Come back down here. Need you to be here tomorrow. We got a game in four weeks. And I'm like, what the heck? Are you kidding me? Like game in four weeks? Like we haven't been training. Like I was training, but I wasn't training for a game in four weeks. You know, they told us the earliest we were going to have a game was January 1st or whatever, or, you know, possible spring season. So I'm like, no way, like no way they're going to actually have a season. And, uh, you know, obviously get that phone call. So I called some of my buddies and like, yeah, man, like I got to book a flight right now. Like we're flying back. You know, I got to move all my stuff back to this and that. And so I just kind of like sat back. I was like, hey, coach, give me a, like, give me a week or two. Just kind of think about this and just kind of think about things. So 
obviously, you know, talked to my family, called my uncle a bunch, called, you know, Coach Newman, um, who coached me in high school and obviously played in the NFL and played for the Ducks too. Called him, asked for his opinion, called Dino Filia, you know, one of my buddies, um, who obviously kind of works, you know, for Filia's cookout that works for the team and stuff too. Yeah. Called him, asked for his opinion. And all of them kind of said the same thing. Like, dude, nobody's ever had to go through something like this. Nobody's ever had to, you know, make these types of decisions that you're having to make right now. So whatever you decide, you know, I got your back, something and crap, that doesn't really help much because you know, I, I still had no idea what to do, you know? And so um, really what came down to it, like I went and drove down um, and met with my teammates. This was kind of the thing that helped me decide. I called a bunch of my teammates like, Hey man, let me come down and uh, meet with you guys and see what you guys you know, have to think about some of the decisions I'm thinking about making. So drove down to Eugene, met with them, but kind of had in my mindset of like, okay, if, if one of these teammates, you know, says like, Hey man, you're turning your back on us, you know, you're quitting on us, you declare or whatever. Um, you know, I told myself if even one guy says that, then I'm going to come back. Cause I didn't want, you know, any of my teammates to be upset at me or anything and, you know, feel like I turned my back on them. So I went to that meeting you know, with some of those guys at their house, you know, and literally every single one of them was like, dude, whatever you do, we got your back. You know, you're our boy. You know, we understand this whole situation is crazy. So whatever you decide, you know, we're rooting for you. We can't wait, you know, to watch you play on Sundays and this and that. So it was just a whole lot of crap. Really, really the main thing was just the whole situation. Like being told the season's done to literally go back home, move out, and go home. Sorry to you seniors and this and that. And then all of a sudden the Pac-12 is just like super lame. And they decide, oh, yeah, we're going to, um, you know, pick up the season last second. You know, it was just kind of – they tried to screw a lot of us seniors. So I was really upset about that. You know, really – I'm still upset, obviously, about the whole way the Pac-12 handled it. I think they did a terrible job. Um, but, yeah, that was just kind of the whole situation. So literally decided to opt out. Felt like, you know, it was best for me just because, you know, mentally and physically, I felt like I was ready. You know, we were doing real well practices and stuff. And I just felt like, you know, the game was slowed down. You know, so I felt like mentally and physically, I'm just ready to roll for, you know, the next level. So I made that decision, obviously. And then um, a week later, moved down to Phoenix, Arizona and been training here ever since. So, yeah, it's been pretty crazy. What's your draft prep been like? Um, so, yeah, train literally six days a week, get Sundays off, though. Um, training twice a day, sometimes three, just kind of depends on, you know, what the schedule is. But, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um doing a lot of 40 stuff, obviously doing position work, which is still really important to me, you know, but doing 40, you know, shuttle stuff, obviously lifting and stuff like that, working on my bench. So yeah, it's been really good, man. So, yeah. Um, you know, now that you're in, in, uh, Phoenix, excuse me, Phoenix, it sounds like things have been going pretty well with your training. Uh, I've got a, I'm trying to look it up here. Word on the street is, is that I got told this a few weeks back. Brady ran an official laser for 4.52 today, 6% body fat at 200 pounds and a 35-inch vertical. It sounds like you're kicking ass down there, bro. Yeah, yep. Yeah, we had a little um, Exos Pro Day because obviously the combine got canceled and stuff. So they decided, you know what, we might as well have a little combine for you guys here to kind of see your progress and stuff. So we had some scouts or not current scouts, but ex-scouts that came there to kind of make it more official and stuff. Um, but yeah, I did. I felt like I did pretty good. I felt like I could get, you know, better numbers come pro day, but yeah, the training has been really good, man. The, the trainers here are obviously, you know, best in the world. And, you know, I've, I felt like I've really improved myself as a player, you know, and as a person too. So it's been, it's been, you know, life-changing obviously for me. Uh, we're very, 
obviously we're well aware that this is a totally different draft than any of the year. And you've never gone through this process before, but you know, what are they, you know, how is it? I don't want to say how is it different because you don't know, but you know, what are they kind of walking you through this year? Is there a lot of zoom calls? Is there, you know, I mean, what, what are some of the processes you're going through with teams that are kind of talking to you and, and, and things like that in terms of getting ready for the draft? Yeah. So um, had literally three zoom calls yesterday um, talking to teams almost every day, talked, you know, and had a Zoom call this morning. Um, so, yeah, I'm doing, you know, Zoom calls almost every day because usually we would be meeting in person, wow. you know, and having those interviews that way. So the official way to do it is they do it over Zoom. They ask you, you know, questions about, you know, our defense and stuff like that. And they ask questions about your personality and stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's been it's been weird, you know, because obviously you can't, like, sit down and talk to a person face-to-face and feel the energy of the room, you know, so – the best way they can do it is just through Zoom, which kind of sucks, but it's better than nothing, I guess. Yeah, they don't really get to appreciate your luscious locks of hair that way. <laughs> on the- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, how's the process been for you? I mean, are you are you enjoying it? Are you exciting? Uh, excited? I mean, just how's how has this draft prep process been overall? Yeah, man, I'm enjoying it a bunch. Um, been able to you know make a lot of really cool friends here. Um, living with a roommate right now from uh, University of Alabama, Birmingham, receiver Austin Watkins. He's my roommate here. So obviously been able to become really good friends with him. And then my whole, you know, kind of draft class, you know, all the DBs and linebackers and stuff that I train with every day and receivers too. Um, it's like almost like a team. Like we talk, you know, almost every day in our group chat, even the guys that have left and done their pro days and everything and are done training at Exos. It's still like this team feel, you know, so it's been really cool. We got a, big Bible study group going too. So, I mean, it's been literally everything you could, you know, possibly want in a training program. So I'm definitely making sure to enjoy it Been helping, you know, train my faith as well with God and stuff, but train my body and my mental state and everything. So it's been, you know, it's been awesome, man. Is, is that maybe one of the things that makes football special? I mean, I know, uh, you know, all sports are special in their different ways, but football really seems to have like this brotherhood feel, you know what I mean? These are your, your, your guys you're going to war with and you're, you know, tons of sweat that you guys are pouring out week in and week out. Is that, is that maybe one of your favorite things about football is just that brotherhood aspect? Oh yeah, man. I mean, I feel like football is one of those, I mean, just sports in general, but football definitely is kind of like, it's just a true brotherhood. You have guys that you'll die for, you know, and you've, you've only known them for maybe a year or like here, you know, I've only known him for a couple months, but I feel like, you know, some of these guys are like my true family and stuff. Guys all the way from Northwestern, uh, Texas, Illinois, like all over the country, Florida. I mean, we've got guys from literally everywhere. And it's just cool to, you know, have guys from all t- types of, you know, places across the country, all different races, all different religions, everything. I mean, everyone just comes together and it's like that true brotherhood, you know. And I feel like that's why sp- uh, football is just definitely special for us and special for me as well. Uh, Brady, I know you're busy. We, we, uh, we value your time. We value you being here. I want to send you off on this. What's, uh, what's the schedule for Brady Breeze the next few weeks look like? Is it just continued training? Are you going to start to transition into more, you know, I don't want to call them camps per se, but, you know, I know they're doing kind of some offsite, you know, camps versus just the big combine. What's the next few weeks look like for you? Yeah, so the next few weeks, um, just a lot of training, kind of getting ready for pro day. So I actually went uh, through a camp in Texas called uh, College Gridiron Showcase, did a bunch of stuff there um, and had a good time there, had a lot of interviews and stuff. So that was really the only camp I've done 
um, and really only like personal exposure I've had, you know, in front of scouts and stuff. So really right, right now in the next couple of weeks is training, getting ready for that pro day. You know, that's the next, you know, big step for now. And then after that, just kind of waiting for the draft, hoping, you know, I can hear my name called. So we'll see what happens there. You're pretty excited to watch, uh, you know, I know you're, you're excited to see your own name, but you got some other, you got some other brothers that, that look like they're going to be in this draft with you as well. It's got to be pretty exciting to, to hear, you know, about their journey as well. Yeah, exactly. I'm hoping to see a lot of O's, you know, being called and seeing <laughs> a lot of, you know, Oregon Duck uniforms being played on the highlight film on draft day. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. M- might even be the first one called if somebody wants a, a franchise left tackle. <laughs> yeah, somebody, if somebody wants a possible future Hall of Famer All-Pro, you know, <laughs> they should pick that guy, man. They should they pick should. him. He's a monster. Uh, well, Brady, you know, I know I speak for Matt and myself. We both really appreciate your time. Love, yeah. love, uh, love the stories. They were terrific, man. And, and hopefully maybe we can talk with you again after the draft's complete. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for calling guys. That was fun. I, I have to admit, uh, he was kind of taken by surprise. I think it just kind of got rushed together. I was kind of taken by surprise when you told me we had a guest and then you told me we had Brady lined up. I don't think I did a good job introducing this, but when you have a kid like Brady grows up in Southern Oregon, plays high school ball in the Portland area, signs on to Oregon, spends four years with the Ducks, scores a friggin' touchdown in the Rose Bowl. Um, I, I don't know if you can have a better story than that. I, I, I mean, it, you know, he should write a damn book because I don't think he can. I mean, yeah. um, you know, and, and again, and I didn't want to get too far in the weeds here, but, you know, Brady showed up, you know, fairly, you know, fairly highly ranked, highly heralded player, in-state player, you know, just kind of worked his way in there the first couple of years, lots of special teams, see him out there here and there. And then, you know, like, you know, next thing you know, kind of that senior year kind of really emerges you know as as obviously a starter a guy that plays had a pretty good senior year but then that back half of his senior year, holy cow you know just the way he finished it off the Pac-12 championship game uh with the Rose Bowl coming up big with a number of you know big play Brady as I called him there uh which he was in those two games and and yeah I mean you, this is something I've talked about on Scoop Duck you know before is that the reason you, you prioritize and recruit these in-state guys is because generally, for the most part, it means more to them. So right. oh, yeah. Brady's, a, Brady's a perfect example of that. I grew up a Duck fan. My uncle, you know, played for the Ducks. My mom went to school there. I wore Duck pajamas. The fight song was, you know, the, the Duck fight song was my ringtone. Yeah. Like, those are the things that make somebody like Brady that, you know, maybe shows up and isn't you know, as fast as this other kid or, or, or as strong as this other kid when he gets here, but he works his ass off to get there because of pride, because he wants to be there. He wants to be that guy. And, uh, I mean, it just, you know, it, it, it helps that Brady's such a tremendous young man too. I mean, he's just always been, uh, you know, just an absolute high character individual on and off the field. Uh, and you know, I, I've known Brady personally, you know, obviously interacting with him here in Southern Oregon and we have some some, some ties with one another. Uh, you know, my son plays with his, with his, uh, with his nephew plays soccer. Um, you know, so we've kept in touch, uh, great family, great kid. And, and it's just one of those guys that it's impossible not to root for him. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Um, really excited to see what he does at the next level. Uh, we, we were just talking about that a couple of minutes ago. I'm not sure when or where he's going to get his name called, but I, I feel like an NFL team is going to get a really good locker room guy. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, if you, if you draft, you know, I know we talked about this with Jawan Johnson, you know, the former receiver for the ducks. Yeah. Uh, you know, playing with, wide receiver now playing with the saints, you know, Hey, here's a guy that you're just not going to have to worry about. You're going to draft him. And it's not like, Oh, this guy's going to go get a DUI or, right. you know, be in the, be in the news for the wrong reasons. You're going to bring Brady in and he may not be your, your top draft pick or whatever the case might be. He's going to work his ass off. He's going to push the guys ahead of him. He's going to do everything he can to get on the field. And he's not going to bring any negative, you know, headlines to your program or to, you you know, to, uh, to your organization along the way. So, um, you know, I do think more and more as we continue to get through and evolve, I think character is really starting to matter in recruiting and in, 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 and in the draft. I think you're seeing those two things, maybe not the top priority, but it's certainly being moved up the list for coaches of, of both, you know, college and NFL. And, uh, you know, of course, if you're evaluating Brady on his character, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to come back in spades, of course. Right. Right. Um, a couple minutes left on the pod. Do you want to talk about softball and baseball for a few minutes? Yeah. Let's give them a little love because Holy heck, that softball team is on fire. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I'm officially on the Melissa Lombardi train. I think it's fair to say she's an awesome recruiter. She loaded this team with talent and, and they're playing like the best or one of the best in the country. And then Oregon baseball too. A lot of people in Oregon will say, well, I'm a duck football fan and a beaver baseball fan. I feel like that's going to change because I, I feel like Oregon fans are going to jump on board with what was is building. They just took two out of three from the best team in the conference. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, they, both programs certainly are trending the right direction. And, and just to put that in a nutshell and <clears throat> you know what I think made <clears throat> what I think made both of those hires at the beginning, really hard to buy into uh, didn't have anything to do with them. It was the fact that, you know, the way that Mike White left softball and you bring in Lombardi, who's unproven as a head coach, uh, obviously proven now, but at the time unproven. And then you saw all that roster turnover turnover that followed Mike White to Texas. Look, she came in with the, with the deck stacked against her and she's turned it upside down and on its head. And that is an absolute amazing thing that, that, that she's been able to do. And, you know, obviously it, it certainly, you know, Rob Mullins deserves a lot of credit for seeing that. And it, it validates his decision, you know, in, in terms of was, you know, he came in again, you come in behind George Horton, <clears throat> you know, who had a little bit of difficulty those last couple of years, you know, you had some fans that wanted to stick with him because he's a good guy and he's a good Eugene guy. And you know what I mean? Just all these great things about him that, that were in fact great. Oregon baseball just wasn't really playing all that well. So, uh, you know, I think that was a difficult change that was made there because, you know, George Horton had a lot of, uh, of folks in his corner, uh, you know, because of his high character, uh, you know, on and off the field. But uh, it certainly seems as though Waz has been a tremendous hire for the Ducks as well. And one thing that you highlighted there quickly, Matt, is they're both recruiting incredibly well. I mean, yeah. both programs are recruiting really, really good ball players, and then it certainly seems as though they're they're all being developed once they get here. So, um, it's an I mean, like 
It's pretty crazy. You see that stat the other day that, you know, Oregon and Alabama are the only two to, you know, uh, what was it being a playoff game, being a play a bowl game in football and then, you know, win their conference in basketball or wh- whatever that was. But, right. Right. You know, to, of, to win your conference in both sports. In both sports. Yeah. I mean, you're one of two schools in the, in the, in the nation, in the two, and I hate to say this, but they're the two biggest sports, you know, in, in terms of college, in terms of revenue and viewership. Right. Right. And then, and then you throw on an indoor uh, track and field national championship to boot, you know, with, with Oregon getting that done and, and Robert Johnson, you got volleyball, that's killing it. Women's soccer, you've got softball, you've got baseball, you've got golf. I mean, like, it's pretty freaking amazing what's going on in Oregon right now from a sports standpoint. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I could, I could talk your ear off about that golf program winning a, a national title a couple years back. And I know firsthand, I, I've known some of the players on that team because uh, they, they recruit a lot of the really good golfers in state and we have a bunch of them in Oregon. Um, that team is loaded. You mentioned track. We're not track guys, but that program wins trophies every year um women's soccer big wins this year uh they they beat stanford which is nuts um that that's like beating uconn and women's hoops we know what women's basketball team can do like there's there is an unprecedented just collection of excellence across the board in oregon athletics right now yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think it's going to be one of these things that, you know, later this summer when all these sports have concluded with softball and, you know, the two basketball seasons wind down here, I'm sure there will be a graphic of some kind listing all the accomplishments of Oregon sports here. And it's probably, it, it certainly looks like it's something that will be unrivaled in, in all of college athletics at this point. But um, it, it's, it's pretty damn amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, talking tournament again, uh, Ducks play VCU Saturday night, Oregon radio network affiliates all across the state, including mine in Southern Oregon. And uh, it's also going to be on television. I I think that's a CBS game, but I I don't know for sure. Certain Um, just, just gauging on past years, the Ducks typically get a CBS game that first week. Um, If they win, they play Monday and they would play likely against Iowa, the two seed. Uh, we'll talk about that the next time we have a pod. We'll also look ahead, a little more NFL draft, see where some of the ducks are lined up and mock drafts and get you ready for spring ball and a whole lot more right here. Just keep listening. Scoop Duck in Hi-Fi. We're going to put this on the site, scoopduck.com. Also going to get it out on all the podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, etc. All you got to do, search for Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Thanks for listening. Go Ducks. I can do this night like all day long.